you know, make a confession to you. Um, the preacher doesn't always know what state of mind he's going to be in when he gets into the pulpit. Um, and I'm very emotional tonight, so I guess it has to do with the subject of the text and uh, what it means to me and how I use it um, to say goodbye to some of you who will be leaving uh, in the next month or two. So every year about this time, I have to preach John chapter 6. I have to do it. Some of you have heard me do it several times. I'd be interested to know how many of you have heard me preach John 6 before. Poor Gary. Gary's been around a long time. I'll tell you how many times he's heard. But you know, sometimes the preacher, uh, well, all the time it's for the preacher. It's always for the preacher. Uh, but tonight that's particularly true. So this is a tradition of mine that early each summer I preach John chapter 6. It's really my confession and my testimony and my praise and my soon to come joy. <laughs> I don't have the joy yet because some of you are leaving and it's painful. Uh, it's painful for Karen and I. But we know what God's Word tells us. That God is doing all things for His glory and all things for the joy of His people. So even when we can't see the joy yet, we know it's there, right? We believe. We believe the Word of God. We know the joy is coming. We, we're looking for the joy. <laughs> we know it will come. And some of you, we won't see you again until we get to the other side. Uh, what joy that will be. But some of you, all, we'll hear from you. You'll write us. You'll email us. You'll call us. Um, and that's a, that's a great joy too. That's a great joy too. So, yeah, bear with me. John chapter 6. And here's the deal. Unless you're just a real spiritual guy, you need John chapter 6 too. <laughs> I don't care how many times you've heard John chapter 6. Unless you're just a super spiritual Christian guy or Christian gal. Um, you need it as well. A few years ago, a guy named Bruce Wilkerson came out with a book entitled The Prayer of Jabez. I know that many of you have read this book. Uh, I never forgot an illustration he used in the book about his five-year-old son whose name was Bruce Jr. And Bruce uh, Sr. talks about the fact that in one city they were in, uh, he and Darlene, his wife, they took Bruce Jr. out to a park, and it was a great park. And uh, Bruce Sr. said it was, uh, you know, it made you want to be a kid again. It was such a great park. And there were three slides in the middle of the park. And of course, Bruce Jr. ran to the slides, and boom, he was down the, the small slide, right? Uh, multiple times, he was down it. Next thing he wanted to do was the, 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 the medium slide, right? So he screws up his courage, and he watches the older kids for a while, and then he, he decides to, to, to give it a shot, and he freezes about a third of the way up. He backs back down, and he sits down, and he watches the kids uh, go down the slide some more. So he gets his courage up, and he does it. He goes up the slide, up the ladder, down the slide. Does it multiple times. Well, you know what he wants to do next? He wants to go to that third slide, which is huge, right? It's a huge slide. So he gets his courage up and he starts up the ladder. He's halfway up and he freezes, right? 
And he turns to his father and he says, Daddy! Daddy! I can't do this, Daddy! It's too big for me, Daddy! Come and help me, Daddy! And I've never forgotten that illustration. Because if you're, you know, a Christian <laughs> and you're serious about it, you have to pray that almost every day. Daddy, I can't do this without you. I can't really go with Jesus in my own strength and in my own power. Daddy! Daddy, come help me. Daddy, I can't do this by myself. Right? This is too big for me. This is too hard for me. Ten years ago, uh, the Lord called Karen and I to come to Milan uh, to replant a dead church. And as I began to read about international ministry, I soon learned and was shocked to discover that there are always at least 10 to 12 international churches in major European cities that don't have a pastor. And I can remember when I first got here, I thought, well, this is ridiculous. There ought to be a hundred guys trying to get into that pulpit, you know, and be the pastor of that church. But now I know why there's nobody in the pulpits. It's your fault. It's because you come, <laughs> we fall in love with you, and then you leave. And it's hard. I can't even look at Karen. So in June, I'm crying out, Daddy! Daddy! Help me, Daddy! I can't do this. It's too big for me. It's, as one pastor said, it's like watching a parade. If you're an international pastor and his wife, everybody goes by. They just keep going. They wave as they leave. Nobody ever stays. We have a handful, praise God. We have a few that have been around for a number of years now. And that's a great blessing. But you know, this time of year, I always get, I always get a parade Fatigue. So it's your fault that I'm preaching John 6. It's your fault. I'm not going to blame you, but well, maybe I am going to blame you. You come here as a student. You come here following your career. You come here as a spouse and you search us out. You, you look us up. You come and you worship Jesus with us. Many of you get involved. You roll up your sleeves and you go to work. You worship here. You serve here. And you give here. Some of you come face to face with God at ICM and you are forever changed. This is why we do this. You know, we get, I was telling the young adults Thursday night, you know, we get paid a wage. But you know, if it was about the wage, I would still be in the States working for John Deere. If it was about wages, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I would still be over there. It's not about wages, earthly wages. It's about sowing eternal life into God's people. It's about sowing good seed into good soil. And Karen and I, we get to watch God light some of you up, right? Some of you meet your Redeemer here. And what a blessing that is. Some of you fall in love with your Redeemer here more than you ever have before. And what a joy that is. That's our compensation to watch you in your love affair with Christ. That's why we do this. That's why we do it.
And it's a great joy and a great honor for us to do it. Karen and I have a really complicated job description. We hold up Jesus and say, look how awesome He is. That's all we do. <laughs> That's all we do. Uh, you know, the Lord spoke through an ass in the Old Testament. He can speak through anyone. And He speaks through us. Hold up Jesus and say, look how awesome He is. How stunning and magnificent He is. What a great God He is. This is our job. And we do love it so. But, when you leave, and of course you must, our hearts break just for a little while. <laughs> June and July are always... Karen asked me just the other day, we went on a picnic yesterday, she goes, is it still as hard for you as it's always been? And I think, to be honest, yeah, it is. Even though I know God's sending new people, I mean, there are new faces coming that I haven't met yet and I'm going to love them and Karen and I are going to love them. But it's hard to let some of you guys, some of you guys go. So, our big slide is not that we live in a foreign culture, that we live away from our family and our children and our grandchildren and our friends in the States. Um, it's not that uh, this congregation will always be tremendously diverse and ever-changing, ever-fluid. It's not that this church will always be an enormous financial challenge. Uh, these are real issues, but that's not why it seems impossible to be the pastor of an international church. It's because you come, we love you, and then you leave. This is our big slide. So in June, I look up that ladder and I say, Daddy, this is too hard. This is too big. And while this message is principally for me, as I said earlier, if you're walking with Jesus, you need it too. Because you really can't walk with Him and do it in your own strength. And I want to say to you tonight, there may be, I don't know, 40 people here. No, I guess maybe what, 30? Maybe 30. There may be 30 different issues here, right? 30 different issues that people are preoccupied with. But what I want you to see tonight in the text, Jesus is the answer. It doesn't matter what the question is. <laughs> Jesus is... If you, have, if you have any question of substance in your heart, He's the answer. And I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about silly things. I'm talking about issues of life. Ultimate questions. If you have an issue, a serious issue in your life, Today, He is the answer. So I hope you have your, your Bible or your doodad on John chapter 6, and we'll go through the text and spend a few minutes talking about it. Jesus teaches His disciples and He teaches us that He is all we need. This is the only miracle in all four Gospels. This is the only one in all four 
Gospels. Obviously, the Lord has something here for us to understand. The principal lesson, of course, is that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the only bread that feeds the hungry soul of men. That's the principal lesson. He is the bread of life. He is the answer. He's the ultimate answer for the lostness of mankind. But there are also other vital truths here for us. And that's what I want to pull out in these first 13 verses tonight. The first thing we see, I just want to bring it to your attention. I, I know that you're aware of this, but the first thing that I want to point out to you parenthetically is, is that this, this text highlights the fact that Jesus is the Creator God. We know from Colossians 1.16 that uh, we are created by Him and for Him. He is the Creator God. God is, you know, Jesus is going to be creating uh, barley loaves from barley that never grew. He's going to be providing fish. Uh, and these fish never swam. God is just creating. He's just creating provision where there was no provision. This is what Jesus does. He is the great Creator God. The, the same God that spoke 400 plus billion galaxies into existence. That's what we're seeing tonight in this text. He's bringing this kind of power to bear to feed 5,000 men. Now, we read our Bibles, we understand it. It's 5,000 men. And I think it's Matthew that says, aside from the women and children. Scholars have estimated up to 20,000 people are here. So we're not just talking about 5,000 people. 5,000 men. Maybe up to 20,000 people. You heard Gary read the text, so I won't reread it. But from the other Gospel accounts, we know this. Jesus has just heard that John the Baptist has been beheaded. The disciples have just returned from their first preaching tour. And Jesus desired to get away and have a time of rest and be alone with His men. But John tells us that the multitudes continue to press in on Him. Despite knowing that most of these people will reject Him the very next day, despite the fact that the disciples are encouraging Him to send them away, and despite the fact that he and the disciples are bone-tired, the Matthew text tells us that Jesus had compassion for the multitude. Jesus turns to Philip, verse 5, and he says, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? I love this about God. <laughs> Where are we, Philip, where are we going to buy the bread? God doesn't need us. He never needs us to get His purpose done. But He always uses us. He always uh, brings us up into what He's doing. He always pulls us up into His great redemptive work. Philip, where are we going to get the bread? He doesn't need to ask Philip. He doesn't need Philip's counsel. He's pulling Philip in. It's just like you and I. God is so gracious. He pulls us into what He's doing. Even though He's bringing all the power and all the resource, He includes us in what He's doing. Verse 5, 
Did you notice that Jesus asked one question, where to buy the bread? And in verse 7, Philip answers a different question. How much will it cost? God didn't say how much will it cost. That's not what God said. God didn't say how much will it cost. I thought how very much like Philip I am, God asked me the question to which only Jesus is the answer and I'm over there crunching the numbers, right? I'm over there trying to figure it out in my own flesh, in my own understanding. I think a lot of us, if we were honest, would have to admit this is true. Jesus asked Him specifically, where are we going to get the bread? Why? Because Jesus wants Philip to understand that He is the bread. Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the right answer to the question. Verse 6 tells us that Jesus was testing Philip. And this is what God does in the believer's life. <laughs> he will always test your faith. If you read your Bible, you realize uh, God's always done this. From uh, Genesis to Revelation, God tests the faith of His people. You remember, God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. It was a test. Actually, the text tells us in, in Genesis 22, it was a test. Abraham trusted. He obeyed. Jehovah Jireh provided a ram. You may remember that God called Moses to lead the Hebrew nation out of captivity and gave him a stick. That's all he had was a stick. He had a staff. That's all he had. Moses believed. Moses obeyed. And God delivered Israel through Moses. You may remember God called Gideon and 300 men outnumbered 450 to 1 to face an enemy army. And all they had was a pitcher and a, a torch and what else did they have? A trumpet and a team cheer. That's all they had. But they trusted and they believed and God routed the enemy. You may remember that God called Jehoshaphat who was hopelessly outnumbered to take His people and simply go out and face the enemy and sing a praise to God. Can you imagine? And of course, God routed the enemy. As one preacher once said, God seldom calls His people to do the possible. All of these things were impossible. But God did it. God did it. So, if you're a Christian tonight, God will bring you to a test of trust. It's always the big slide. He's always going to bring you to the big slide. <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't created and you weren't redeemed for the small slide, beloved. <laughs> you know, you were created and redeemed for the big slide. The test of trust is coming. My question to you is, will you look to Him Will you trust Him and will you obey Him? Will you obey the Lord when it looks impossible? Will you? Will you trust the Lord when it looks too hard? When the odds are just unbelievably out of your favor? Will you believe God? Will you trust God? Will you obey God? 
God will bring you to this place. He brings every Christian to this place. Multiple times in our life. And you know it's true, don't you? God knows what to do with the impossible. Right? Some of you already know this. Some of you have learned this firsthand. God knows what to do with the impossible. He knows what to do with the impossible. John MacArthur says it well. He says, you know, when we come to the big slide, we tend to assign our own feebleness to God. When it gets hard, when it gets big, when we can't find what God's calling us to do on our resume, it's not on our resume. We've never done this before. I don't know how it could possibly ever work. MacArthur says we have this tendency to assign our own feebleness to God. Beloved, I don't have to tell you how wrong that is. I tell you this all the time. When it gets hard, we're not supposed to look at the problem. We're supposed to look at Jehovah, right? We're supposed to look at Jehovah Jireh. Don't look at the problem. Yes, we deal with the problem. But we look away from the problem and we look at God. And we delight ourselves in God. We delight ourselves in a promise-keeping God. As one of my brothers told me a long time ago, there will always be a ram in the bush. For the Christian, there's always a ram in the bush. Don't you love that about him? <laughs> there's always a ram in the bush. Beloved, if you're looking at yourself, you'll never go to the big slide. You're just going to stay on that little slide. You know, you can roll out of bed every morning and do that little slide just all by yourself. No pressure. No, it's just easy, man. I can do that. Just like little Bruce Jr., he could do that. It's no problem. He didn't need his daddy for that. He could do that. But Jesus will be calling you, if you belong to Him, He'll be calling you to the big slide. And you won't be able to do it by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. I didn't tell you the end of the story. Bruce Jr. says, Daddy, I can't do it without you, Daddy. It's too big for me. You know what Bruce Sr. did. He ran to his boy, went up the ladder, scooped up his boy, put his boy between his legs, wrapped his arm around him, went down the big slide laughing all the way down. And I thought to myself, this is Christianity. This is what our Father does. Our Father comes to us. And we end up laughing all the way down. If you've ever gone to the big slide and you couldn't do it and God's come and done it with you, you know what I'm talking about. You know what kind of joy I'm talking about. You know what, you know what it's, it means to laugh all the way down with God. <laughs> Every year this church stays open. We're laughing with God. Because it's a long shot every year. It's a long shot. That there'd be enough, you know, internationals from all over the world in Milan who really want to hear what God says. You know, we don't patty, play patty cake in here. You know, it's not a poem and, you know, a nice illustration, a funny joke, and some psychobabble. That's not what we do in here. We go to God's Word, we open it, and we, we are challenged by the Word of God to be disciples of Christ. You know, it's a long shot. Karen and I are laughing all the way down every year the Lord keeps the doors open. It's a, it's a great joy and a great 
privilege. You know, faith that stretches you beyond yourself is the faith that is big with joy. The big slide is big joy. You say, Jim, why don't I have any joy in my Christianity? I bet somewhere you haven't obeyed God. I bet somewhere you haven't obeyed God. Because when you obey God, He comes. It's a God encounter. We say it all the time. It is a God encounter. Beloved, go to the big slide. Seek out the big slide. Pursue the big slide. Make much of Jesus on the big slide. This is what Christians are called to do. We're not called to you know, simply have a comfortable, easy life. Jesus has called us to something supernatural. Something large and beautiful. Something that brings glory to His name. So watch Philip in this text. Jesus is planning to, to fill Philip's heart with joy. Not just fill his stomach with food. And that's what we will see. The test of trust is always a call to joy. When it's time for you to leave ICM, we know that it's for God's glory and for your joy. We just don't feel it yet. We know the joy's in there. <laughs> we just don't feel it yet. It hurts too bad. But we believe. You know, here's the cool thing. There's new joy every year. Right? Some of you guys leave. Break our, breaks our hearts. But we know you have to leave. That's part of being an international. We know you're passing through. But every year, Karen and I can, you know, we'll just say, we'll, sometimes we'll, you know, we'll be feeling sorry for ourselves and we'll just be kicking around. You know, that, they're leaving, they're leaving. You know, it's just hard. It's just, you know, we'll get our, you know, start feeling sorry for ourselves. But every year, God brings new joy. Every year, there's new joy. Every year. We don't know what it's going to be this fall, but He's done it for ten years straight. What a great God we have. You guys know being a Christian and walking with God doesn't mean that we are immune to tears. Uh, in fact, uh, we, we cry. Christians cry. I love that Twyla Paris song entitled, Do I Trust You, Lord? And she has that beautiful line in that song. She says, I will believe You even when I must cry. Don't you love that? Sometimes we must cry. Sometimes we will cry. But we still believe God. We still hope in God. Back to Philip. He's about to have one of the most thrilling days of his life, but first Jesus has to teach him and the other disciples that He is all they need. Philip does the math. It doesn't look good. 200 denarii is not enough. That's seven months' wages. It's not sufficient. Did you notice there at the end of verse 6, Jesus was testing him. Jesus Himself knew what He was intending to do. I love this phrase. I don't know what next year looks like, but Jesus does. Jesus knows what He's intending to do. The question is, is Jim going to trust Jesus? That's the question. Jesus knows what He's going to do. How many of you are leaving um, this summer Milan for good? How many of you are leaving and will not return this summer? Raise your hands high so I can see. Zippy, Annette, um, Kenneth, 
Uh, yeah, you? Oh, oh you're leaving. Daniel, you're leaving? Yeah, Okay. And Nova and Frosina? Okay. And Angie. Wow, that's a lot. Wow. That's a lot. God knows where the next Angie is going to come from. I don't know. He knows where the next Zippy is going to come from. And I pull all of you who are leaving up into those two examples. I don't know, but I trust that they're coming. In eternity past, God knew that in 2013, He would call these away. But He also knew He was going to bring some new people who would love Him here and hold up Pastor Jim here. <laughs> you know? And, and worship the Lord here. Serve the Lord here. Honor the Lord here. He knows what He's going to do. Praise God, right? And in your problem, He knows what He's going to do. He knows what He intends to do. Will you be patient? Will you trust God? Don't demand to see what God will do on the front end. He'll never tell you anyway. Trust Him. Trust Him, beloved. Verses 8 and 9, Andrew finds the boy. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. But Andrew says, what are these for so many? Philip looks at the situation and says, it's impossible. It's going to take too much. Andrew looks at the situation and says, it's impossible. We have too little. They're looking at the, the same problem from two vantage points and they both get the wrong answer. They're both assigning their own feebleness to God. Philip looked at the crowd. He says it's impossible. Andrew looked at the loaves. He says it's impossible. What are they doing wrong? Who are they supposed to be looking at? Jesus Christ. That's the lesson for you and the lesson for me tonight. They're supposed to be looking at God. If your Christianity is stuck on the small slide, I would say you're probably looking at the obstacle or the circumstance and you're not looking at God. I exhort you tonight to look at God in your own circumstance. If you look at the circumstance, you will be stuck on the small slide for the rest of your life. Philip says it's impossible. It will take too much. Wrong! Jesus is God! Amen? Nothing is too big for Jesus to accomplish in your life. Nothing. Andrew says it's impossible. We have too little. Wrong! Jesus is God. Amen? Nothing is too small to be used by Jesus in a mighty way. Nothing. Wrong, Philip. Wrong, Andrew. Wrong, Jim Albright. Nothing is impossible for me. I do all my good pleasure in heaven and earth. No one can stay my hand. Who can 
stop the outstretched arms of Jehovah God. No one. Beloved, we just need to believe this is true about Him. And stop being afraid. And stop dwelling on the circumstance and spend our time dwelling on Him. And you got to love this kid. I mean, this is a joke, right? There are ten to 20,000 people here. He's got five biscuits and two fish. But what does he do with it? He gives it to the Lord, right? <laughs> he gives it to the Lord. And Jesus does a God thing with it. This is how God works. He takes men and women who will just give what little they have to Him, and then He does something awesome with it. You know, I want to send you that are leaving, I want to send you away with that. Remember, what little you have, if you'll just give it to Christ, He'll do an awesome thing with it. He will. I love this little kid. He just gives Jesus all He has. <laughs> and he trusts the Lord to do whatever He desires to do with it. Jesus does an awesome thing. Karen and I get to see this at ICM all the time. As you've heard me say before, in the eyes of the world, we're really a kind of a pathetic little operation. Right? I mean, we're kind of a joke to the world, right? But when I, when I, think, when I think about that, I also remember how pathetic the manger was. And I remember how pathetic the cross was and how pathetic the tomb was. God did an awesome thing. God changed the world. Through these humble things, God changed the world. Through them. We may be pathetic to the world, but we're not to God. I sit here during the music sometimes and I, I can imagine, I sometimes imagine... Jesus with this huge smile on His face, looking down upon this little ragtag group of internationals worshiping Him in a redeemed garage. And I, I, know, I know He is delighted in it. But Karen and I have the privilege to see God turn lives upside down here. We've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen God do miracles in the hearts of His people here. We have seen it. This is our compensation. Verse 10. I love it. Jesus says, have the people sit down. Don't you love it? Have the people sit down. I'm thinking that right about now, Philip and Andrew are going, oops, wrong answer. And I think they're thinking about the, the water and the wine right about now. And they're thinking, man, I knew that. He's the answer. I knew that. Sometimes when I'm looking at ICM <laughs> and I'm crunching the numbers and it looks impossible and I say, I just have to turn and look at, look at the Lord. I just have to turn and look at the Lord. Jesus is the answer. And I'm thinking these guys are thinking sometimes what I'm thinking. What were you thinking? Of course Jesus is the answer. Of course He is the answer. And there's a great truth here for us. Jesus brought all the power and all the resource. Jesus is doing the miracle, but if you read the Gospels, all four of them, you realize 
that Jesus is doing it through the hands of His disciples. Their faith was weak, but they did obey. They obeyed the Lord and they were caught up in what Jesus was doing. Jesus took five barley loaves and two fish and He fed ten to 20,000 people. Matthew 14.19 tells us that Jesus did it through the hands of His disciples. They participated in it. That's why it's important that you are here. That you participate in what God's doing in Milan. This little operation is not only an English-speaking church, we have an Italian-speaking church who is our sister church. So God's doing something here that's important. And he's caught, we're caught up in it. We become the conduits of God's provision. It's important that we participate in what God is doing. Philip said it would take seven months' wages for the people to have just a little. Andrew said the five loaves and two fish would not begin to feed the multitude. But did you notice, in verse 11, they had as much as they wanted. Verse 12, they were filled. Verse 13, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Don't you love this about God? He wanted each one of His guys to walk away with a basket. So they'll never forget when He asked them the next time, where are we going to get bread? (laughs) They know that one. (laughs) You're supposed to know that one too. And I know it too. Karen and I have known it for 10 years now. We know where the bread's coming from. Jesus is coming to us from some far corner of the world. He's coming to us. We've learned this. This is our joy. You know, the joy of this ministry is that you always have to fall on God. That's really the joy of the ministry. I, I, we can't rely really on you guys because you're leaving. You know? We, we can't, you can't really get comfortable in the congregation. The congregation's out of here. The, the, really, the, the cool thing about this job is we always have to look at Christ. We always have to fall on God. That's one of the great benefits of this ministry. Each year about this time, you know, I start to feel sad and I start to wonder about the viability of of the International Church of Milan, I, I'm confessing to you that I think about this almost every June. The Lord turns to Karen and I and He says, Where are we going to do, how are we going to do this for another year? How are we going to do this for another year? And I just quote Ezekiel, Lord, Thou knowest. Thou know. I have no idea. I have no idea. But God knows. So this June and July, when you guys start to peel away from the church, this is our annual test of trust. We really do love it when you walk in that door for the first time and we get to meet you and we get to know you and we worship Jesus with you. We love every bit of that. But we really don't like it when you leave. It is our big slide. But Jesus is enough for us. Jesus is enough for us. It would be nice if you would call her right. But Jesus is enough for us. So when He says, how are we going to do this again? This year, we know the answer. We say goodbye to you. And we turn and we look at the Lord. 
So I want to exhort you, beloved. I don't know what your test of trust is just now, but what I want to tell you is Jesus is able. Jesus is willing. Jesus knows what to do with the impossible. I pray that you believe it. I pray that you hold to it. I pray that you go out in the world and live it. If you do, you will discover with Abraham and Moses and Gideon and Jehoshaphat and Philip and Andrew and millions of other Christians down through the ages, the same thing that Karen and I have discovered. That is, God is enough. Jesus is enough. He is our answer. It doesn't really matter what the question is. Jesus is our answer. And He knows how to do the impossible, beloved. He knows how to do the impossible. Hold to Him. Look to Him. Love Him. He knows what to do with the impossible. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank You for this text. What an encouragement it is. You are all we need. I know we get confused about that at times. I know it's easy to become distracted with the the problem at hand. But You are all we need. You know what to do with the impossible. So Lord, I pray in each of our lives, That when we come up against the impossible, when You bring us up to the big slide, we would not shrink back. But we will do what the little boy did. We would simply cry out, Abba. Abba, Father, help me. I can't do this without You. Abba, I can't do this without You. And Lord, we know from a myriad of examples in Scripture, You hear and answer that prayer. Thank You, Father. Thank You that You're always enough. Thank You, Lord. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.